Welcome to the Gateways Beyond International Podcast, featuring inspirational teaching from our ministry bases in the nations. For more information, please visit us online at gatewaysbeyond.org. You know, God gives us the freedom to desire things in God, you know, and that He will give us the desires of our hearts, but also in, in, in greater measure are His promises for us that we begin to get glimpses of and we pursue and run after those things. So I want to speak out of our, this season of our lives as we are exploring how to maneuver, how to, to walk in the grace that comes along with the promises of God. We want to discover Him in a greater way. So tonight's message is the promise and the presence. And I, wanna, I want to deconstruct this idea of a promise um, because we can have different, based on our own experiences in our lives, we can have different ideas concerning how to walk with the promises, how to engage the promises of God for our lives. This is good to know, right? And there have been people in scriptures that have done it not the best way and then some that have done it excellently. And when we engage in the promises of God, it activates faith in our lives for the impossible, for the supernatural, the things that we love to see happen in our lives. Thank you, Lord. So as I began, I began looking at, um, in this last year and a half, considering how God spoke to people, how God engaged with people, and how people responded to God as He was speaking to them. We moved here a year and a half ago. Because of 10 dreams that I got, actual dreams, back to back in a, in a period of a month and a half. And in all of the dreams, 9 of the 10 dreams were us back at Life Center. And it was not even on our paradigm, not even on our screen to come back to the U.S. But if there's anywhere we would move to the U.S., it would be Life Center. And so we were thankful that this is the direction that God was speaking to us. So I began in the last, after moving here... The last year and a half, I've been meditating and pondering about how do we engage with promises that God has spoken to us. Do I have to activate now? Do I have to be responsible? This is the, the dilemma of for, for, I think, for men. I'm sure for women as well. But being the head of my household, there's a, there's a tension of responsibility the things that I, I, I know I have to get done, the things I have to do to provide for my family, you know, the hunter-gatherer thing that kicks in to men a lot of times. I remember the first time I went fishing, I was coerced to go fishing. But as soon as I put the line into the water, I caught a trout, beautiful 14-inch trout. And the hunter-gatherer I never knew existed in me just came out in full force. And it took my friend three or four months to coerce me to go fishing. I went, and I got hooked more than the fish. So the next day, was a, that was a Friday morning. Next day, Saturday, I told Sarah, honey, I'm going. I don't know when I'm going to come back. Because this thing had just taken over me. I went to Bass Pro Shops. I outfitted myself. I spent all, most of what I had in the bank. I, I mean, everything, I, got, I didn't even know what I was buying. I was like hooks and lines and rod. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I went out to the same place. And I spent all night till after. I went early morning, stayed there till after dark. So we have this innate thing in us, you know. And, um, and so the tension is to... To have that natural, I want to provide for family. The other part of our life, other part of our psyche is in our faith walk with the Lord. God, how do we believe? How do we stay in a place of rest, believing in your promises that you've spoken to us? What is the right balance? And it's often not a balance, it's a tension. Tension, God exists in tension when we feel those things. It's not yes or no, it's both and. There are moments that God will speak to us to provide. There are moments that 
God will speak to us to live in faith and believe the Lord in faith for the things he has spoken to us. For me, in our experience of our faith life, it's a lonely journey when we believe the Lord in faith for impossible things. And oftentimes, the realization of a faith lifestyle and a faith walk with God is I'm being completely irresponsible. That's what it feels like. But then he shows up faithfully time after time after time after time after time. When I was younger, I had to discover, I had to stumble a few times, fall through my own way to find the way and the nature of faith in God. And we're, we're, we're beginning to learn how to now engage in the promises which we feel we're car- being carried by. So I want to deconstruct this idea to, to encourage our hearts and engage in, in the promises God has spoken to your lives. Do you have a promise from the Lord for your life, for your family? Raise your hand if you do. I want to make sure I'm speaking to the right crowd. Thank you, Lord. So the nature of promises is that it comes often in a way that we don't expect. The things that God speaks to us comes in a way that often we don't believe it as well. Every encounter in scriptures, when God begins to encounter people, God begins to, His journey with different people, when they're called or chosen by the Lord, one of the first things He does is gives them a promise. He speaks a promise to them, and often that promise is, outlandish it doesn't make sense most of the time outrageous implausible extravagant high-flown sometimes overdone sometimes even seems like a show like like a flamboyant kind of this is what i want to do with your life it doesn't, even make, it doesn't even qualify with the things that are going on. It doesn't even register. This is not part of our life. Well, if this is you, then you are going to have to do this. When God began to speak to us about moving back here, U.S. was not even on the radar. We were actually traveling to India, Europe, and discovering, exploring some of those nations where we felt that we were going to pioneer another missional community like we had in Cyprus. In the midst of that movement and faithfully going and praying and seeking the Lord, God begins to speak to us to come back. Thank you, Lord. And He gives a promise to all of us. Just because the promise doesn't make sense, that doesn't discount the validity of God, what God is wanting to do with us. You know, when God called Peter, the first thing He said was, I'll make you what? Fishers of men. He was not even an eloquent speaker. He couldn't even say the right things at the right time. But on the first expression of the New Testament, the New Covenant Church, Peter had the greatest distinction. Even though he had great failures, he had the greatest privilege to stand up and preach the gospel for the very first time. I'll make you fishers of men. It it didn't seem like... This would be fulfilled in Peter's life. But he was the first one to add 5,000 and 3,000 to the church when he got up and shared the gospel for the very first time. When God speaks a promise, it's an invitation for us to participate in his desire for our lives beyond our natural resource, beyond our natural ability to even think 
of how this will be fulfilled. According to his riches in what? Exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ask or imagine is the way of God in which he fulfills his promises and his desires in our lives. So when God speaks something, it's beyond us. If it's not beyond us, it's probably not the Lord. This is not a theological statement. This is just from my experience. It could be the Lord in your lives. Take it and run with it. But for me, if, it's, if it isn't beyond my own ability, my own natural capacity to fulfill, I need to wait on the Lord a little bit longer. Until he speaks something that I know this is ridiculous. Sometimes it's even embarrassing to talk about it. So because I had dreams, I began to, talk, I began to, to read and reread and reread and reread Joseph's story. Because he had dreams. And Jacob's story, he had a dream encounter with the Lord. And especially Joseph's story, because after he had the dreams, his journey was of trial and tribulation and pain and suffering. So my questions are, God, is that the way to engage or because it's in the Bible? Or is that a story to teach us not how not to do it? You know what I mean? Because even his brothers and his family didn't believe that that could be his role. That could be what God is speaking to him. That's a sign that it's possibly the Lord. David had a promise when he was around 13. The prophet Samuel came to Jesse's house and, you know, we know the story. He went through all the brothers and David was not even counted worthy to be part of that. If a prophet's coming to your house saying, God is going to anoint one of your sons. I mean, I would have gathered my sons, my son's friends, my neighbor's sons. Just, I mean, at least the king should be on our street. You know what I mean? If it's not my, one of my sons, at least it would be great to have the king come from my street. My cousins, my nephews and nieces, all of them would be like a huge party, Middle Eastern party. But David was not even counter worthy to be in that room when the prophet was there to select him. And the prophet said, there's one more. And his dad says, yes, there's, there's one. The word that's used to describe David in that story is, yes, there's still an insignificant one. From his dad. That'll, that'll put you on like 30 years of inner healing. <laughs> but thank God for the promise of God. Thank God for the anointing oil that comes over us, takes care of, washes us in the truth of his word. So David comes and Samuel anoints him in front of his dad, his parents, his family, his relatives, whoever was there. All of his older brothers, they're looking on, looking on and they're thinking, how can this be? Do you know how this was the Lord? The next scene, the next day, he is out carrying lunch for his brothers. Come on. Thank you, Lord. In the natural, the promises of God doesn't make sense. In the natural, they're outrageous. It doesn't make sense, but that's an, that's an indicator that God's in it. Now, if we begin to personalize, what we do often is when we get a promise from the Lord, we receive it and then we personalize it, meaning, okay, now, how can I fulfill this promise in my life? Right? When we begin to personalize it, what we're engaging with is our ability, my skill. Do I, you begin to qualify yourself or disqualify yourself based on what you see in your life and trying to compare to what God is speaking to you. 
It's not how God works. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The flask of oil that was used for Saul to be the first king was a, was a breakable flask. The flask that was used for, because that was a response to the people's desire to have a king. But God's intent was somebody like David. And when he was anointed, it was a horn of oil. There's something strong. That's just my internal sound. There's something strong, unbreakable that is in operation when the promises of God is what's carrying you in seasons of your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. So when we personalize them, we engage our own natural senses. How can I fall? Do I qualify? What are my limitations? What are my qualities? What are my shortcomings? What are my weaknesses? What are my strengths? You know, we take all these strengths. I took one. Uh, a couple of years ago, Cl- strength, strength finders, strengths finders, Clifton strength finders, and 16 personalities. I mean, I'm just trying to handle one personality, you know. And Cl- strength finders, there's like 32 different things. I'm like, no, I'll do the five. I just, I can't want to handle, you know. All those are good. They're great tools. But that's not often the paradigm in which God works. He will use those things and we will grow and evolve based on what God is leading us into. We will come into new anointing. We'll come into new graces because the promise comes with the grace. Thank you, Lord. So don't personalize the promises of God in your life. Thank you, God. And we always say, thank you, Lord, for your promise. We know that he is the one who gives us a promise. And instead of personalizing and figuring out how I can fulfill it, I want to encourage us with a new language. He's not only the promise maker, but he's also your promise keeper. He is able to keep and fulfill the promise in your life. Thank you, Lord. It's not my ability. It's not me trying to figure out or me trying to learn or grow into all those things will naturally happen when the grace carries you. But our confidence, my confidence is that he's, if this promise is from him, he's going to fulfill it in my life. The Holy Spirit was given to us as a helper, as a comforter. Comfort means it's not like you know, the comfort, comforter that we use at night, it's, it's, you know, there's a, there's a, if I can say this, it has a, f- a feminine quality, the idea, the, the word comforter, you know, but it's not. It's with great strength. Comforter means together with, to fortify, to strengthen. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The call of the body of Christ is to stand before him blameless, spotless, pure and spotless bride. Who's, that's the promise. Who is here to fulfill this promise? It's the, it, this is the mandate of the Holy Spirit. How many times have we thought, I don't know, if, you know, I love God. I want to go to heaven. I want to be there. But I don't know about this pure and spotless bride that stands. Am I part of it? Am I? We're thinking about, we're personalizing it. He has given His Spirit to us 
to fulfill this work in our lives. That's his job. We follow him and he transforms us day after day after day. His job is to find this helper that was given to us. His job is to find a suitable bride for the bridegroom. Just like Abraham's servant was sent out to find a suitable bride for his son Isaac. This helper, his job in our lives, that's his. That's all fully on him. That doesn't take away my responsibility of, you know, my, my devotion to the Lord. But it takes away the fear of carnality that I could possibly miss it. Thank you, Lord. We're called to be spiritual people. Thank you, Lord. So I don't want to personalize God's promises in my lives. I want to say, God, you are not only the promise maker, but you are the one who's going to fulfill this promise in my life. You are the one who's going to keep your promise in my life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8, 28. Romans 8.20 is a very familiar passage. All things. Now we know that all things work together for good to those who, say it with me, read it with me. To those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Who loves God? This is the greatest qualification that we will ever need. As you responded early, during worship. To come up to the altar and lay your lives down and surrender. That is our qualification with him. That all things work together for our good. We are called according to the purpose and promises of God in our lives. And everything in our lives works together for our good. All things work together for good. Do you believe that? In order for us to believe that all things work together for good, we first have to have this confidence that all things in my life right now are working on my behalf. In order for all things to work together for your good, you have to, we have to believe that all things are, act everything in my life right now is actually working for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everything. It includes both the triumphs, the victories, and the struggles, and the pain, and the difficulty, and the sorrow, and the grief, and the I can't handle people as well. Why are you laughing, Robert? <laughs> Everything in my life is here for my benefit. Because the word says all things are working for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We have so many stories. We're, we're, actually, when we flew from Cyprus to move here, we got into Heathrow late night, 1, 1 a.m. We got delayed, you know, getting out, of the, getting out of the airport. And we came out. We took a train to go to the next um, terminal because we were staying overnight at a, at a hotel at the, at the, at the airport. And we got halfway on our train, and the train stopped, and they said, everyone get out. This is the last train. We're shut down. There are no more trains tra traveling tonight because the airport doesn't function at night in Heathrow. And we didn't know that we were just on the last train that was only going halfway. And the terminals are miles apart. You can't walk. There are no, no more trains that night. And we have all four kids. I have my guitar, bags, luggage, everything. 
And we go out, we're trying to find, we talked to one guy, he said, oh, you have to go out of the airport, catch a bus from here. There are public buses that come, take it out of the airport, then you stand at this thing and take another bus to another location. From there, you, you ask around and you'll get another connection back to the airport to the other terminal. In the middle of the night. We asked another person, he told us even more complicated story of how to get to terminal three. I think it was from five to three or three to five, one of those two. And there was a crowd of people waiting for the bus. And I guess they knew how to get to there where they wanted to go. And there were, people were asking. I know some of the people were stuck like we were. Other families with children as well. While we waited there, this guy with a yellow vest, you know, like a road crew, like a worker's vest, you know, a reflector, reflective vest. He, he was fielding a lot of questions from the people. He made his way through all of the people, other families with children, just like ours. He made his way through to us and asked us, what's, you know, what's, do you guys need help? I said, yes, we do. We need to get to here. He says, yeah, all these people want to do the same thing. We don't know how, what to do. And then he says, we asked him, look, if there's any way, we don't, we don't think that's a good option for us to go into the city. Is there a way that you, is there anything that can be done? We, you know, we have four kids and I'm looking around. There are other kids for other families. And he says, wait here. He comes back after five minutes looking kind of suspicious. He says, okay, here's the plan. I'm not supposed to do this, but I don't want you to tell anyone, follow me quietly. So he walks and we walk behind him through the crowd, through other families with their kids. We walk past him, we cross the road, and then he says, wait right here because this is illegal. If I get caught doing this, I'll lose my job. So he's, he was not even airport crew. He was, a he was part of the road crew that was doing some road work. He happened to be standing there. He happened to be fielding questions just because he's a nice guy. But in all, with all of those families, he came to us and said, right, Sarah was there. This is not a preacher's exaggeration. I love when Sarah's here because I can tell. Talk about the crazy stories. And then we get to, he has a white truck with the yellow, you know, the yellow thing. That, what are they called? Whatever they're called. And then he says, and right as we are about to go, to go to his car, a police car pulls over. He says, okay, wait, 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 wait. Step back, step back. And this is like, <laughs> taking the bus sounds like a great idea right about now, you know. Long story short, we, and he begins to like kick the tires, go check the headlights of his car. He looks so suspicious. If I was a cop, I would put him in right away. I didn't even have to know. He was like, look, kicking all the tires. One o'clock in the morning, you don't need to kick your tires, brother. Long as we wait about 10, 15 minutes till the cop leaves. And so there are two uh, flatbed trucks. And he has this whole thing laid out. So I went with, uh, Sarah went with two of our kids in the first truck. And I went with my guitar and the other two kids in the other truck behind him. And I'm videoing this whole thing in case, like, if they go two different ways, I'm done. I don't have a story to tell. <laughs> I'm following them, and he takes us all the way to our terminal. We get there, and on the way, we're sharing the Lord with him, you know, what do you do, and all those things. And we get there, and he, and he says, look, I want to take you to your hotel. So he walks with us outside of his car. He sends the other truck away. He walks with us through the, hotel, through the airport to finds, asks people where the hotel is, takes us downstairs, and makes sure, and he waits, wait, make sure you can check in. We checked in, and he says, hey, have a great flight onward from here. All things at all times are working for our benefit if we have eyes to see that God, that's his way. That's his intent. That's his desire that those things work on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. And the purpose of the promise, purpose, the reason that God gives us promises is to activate faith. Because we can't do it on ourselves. We can't can't fulfill those things in ourselves. We have to believe the Lord in the things that he's doing. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. This, I think, is my single most favorite verse for the last six years. I woke up one day in Cyprus. I was going to preach at a church, and I woke up with this verse. I didn't even know where it was in the Bible, but I had, a, you know, I had heard it before. Since then, it's been my favorite verse. Through these, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. See, Peter is not writing about a casual promise. When we value the work of God through what he has spoken, those things that are unfulfilled, but because God spoke it, we begin to treasure them and even talk about them differently. We talk about them as they're exceedingly great and precious promises. You see, our attitude and our language counts. The way we approach and the way we engage what God wants to do in our lives has counts for a lot. If I say, yeah, God's given me promises, but oh, it's never going to be fulfilled in my life. It'll be. The language is very different when Peter writes it. That he has given us exceedingly great. And whatever your promise is that God has spoken to your life, it's exceedingly great and it's precious. Thank you, Lord. That through these exceedingly great and precious promises, we become partakers, not of a natural way to fulfill the promises. We become partakers of the divine nature of God as it begins to operate in our lives. We moved here because I had 10 dreams. Nine of them, Charles and Anne were in, all, in nine of them. And I flew from Cyprus we're moved, and we're flying to talk to our leadership team of our ministry saying, hey, things are changing. And I'm considering these dreams. I'm flying across the, across the world to come go to Spokane. I flew from Cyprus, landed in Houston. I had an hour and a half layover in Houston. And I'm reading these, these dreams. I'm, ex, I'm exploring what God is speaking to us. I'm reading these dreams. I land in Houston. Before customs, I'm on the escalator. And Charles is in front of me on the escalator. Come on. When you value what God is speaking to you, when you value exceedingly great, and when you've immersed yourself in your dreams, you know when it manifests, even if, it's, if you're looking at it at the back of their head. I knew that back of that silver head when I saw it. I said, Charles, is that you? I called out from the top of the escalator. <laughs> And Charles turned out and said, Johnny, what are you doing here? Thank you, Lord. You see, we begin to operate in the supernatural in a very natural way when we give the full credit of God making the promise and His ability to fulfill it in your life. Come on. What are your dreams? Write it down. What is the promises God has spoken to you? If we could be a natural promise, but when he fulfills it, it's exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ask or imagine. I guarantee it. 
Hannah was crying in the old in the story of Samuel. His mom Hannah, she couldn't be, have a child, and she was found at the temple door, crying inside and pleading with the Lord, asking the Lord, God, give me a son, give me a child. She was so desperate and passionate in that moment that the priest thought she was drunk. When is the last time you were praying and people thought you were drunk? <sighs> I told you promises stir faith. For me, this is my inward. <sighs> that's, my, that's my faith personality on the inside. I'm normally calm and quiet. So I want to highlight quickly... One of the stories, there's so many that we can, we can talk about. The, the promise that came to Mary, it came in the most unassuming setting. We went through this during, during Christmas time. It came into an impossible situation. But she had to say, let it be done to me. Whatever it caught in the natural, she knew the next step would be trial. Right? But she said, let it be done to me according." your word but Abraham's story he's the one who started this whole thing for us the father of our faith when God began to speak to him he spoke to him three times about his covenant about his promises God's promises for Abraham the first time in Genesis 12 he was 75 years old when Isaac was born he was 100 years old the first time, his promise was primarily about the land. In Genesis 12, he said, look, Abraham, as far as your eye can see to the north, the south, east, this land I'm giving to you. The second one was for descendants. That your, your descendants will, in, will be like this. Look at the stars. They will be like the stars of the heaven. That's a little too much. For an aging old man who's trying to finish well. Okay, just tell me I'm going to have one child. Even that is ridiculous. But for to call this guy out at 75 and tell him that his descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. That's, come on, be real. Don't be spiritual now. Be real. Isn't that a bit too much? Unnecessary. Foul, 10-yard penalty. Unnecessary roughness on this poor old guy. And then the third promise, he came to him again. And the third promise was that you will be the father of nations. And all the nations of the world will be blessed by you. If he couldn't believe the first one about the land, God upped it. I call. I raise. Abraham called and God says, I raise it. Any poker players? Not for money. Just... Chips. Abraham called. He said, I raise it. Not only will I give you this land, I'll give you descendants that will be like the stars of the sky. And he said, okay. I don't know. And he called and God says, I'm going to raise it again. Through you, all the families. See, this is a nature of the promises of God. He intends to give us promises that are ridiculous. He intends to give us promises that are downright embarrassing. Can you imagine Abraham? 70, so these three promises came in that span of 25 years. Can you imagine Abraham starting 
at 75 and telling his pe people, hey, God's going to give me all this. And he spoke about descendants as well in all of those promises. He's going to give me a son. You know what that entails on a practical, can, I, can we get real, practically for a husband and wife? How many times did Sarah think, this guy is totally just trying to, oh man, I know what you're trying to do. It's not going to work, buddy. That's like after the first six months. Two years, five years. Abraham's still right, but God said he's going to give us a son. Ten years later, Abraham's still at it. God's going, oh, by the way, God spoke to me again last night. And Sarah's like, yeah, right. What happened to the first time he spoke to you and all that trouble you put me through? 25 years later, this old man is still saying, I'm going to have descendants who are going to be like the stars of the sky. It's real. So in this story, the first time, the Abraham's first response to what God spoke. And the last response to the, the, the last promise is completely different because he learned how to engage the promises of the Lord. So the first promise came. He says, look at the land. I'm giving, giving it all to you and your descendants. Da, da, da. It went on. But the very next verse in Genesis 12, the very next verse, after giving him the promise, Abraham received the promise. It was counted to him for righteousness. After receiving the promise, the very next verse says, and there was famine in the land. Promises, to be real, they will come with a test to see if you have what it takes to stand and believe the Lord when everything begins to fall apart or act abnormally opposite to what God spoke to you. That's not, an in, that's not a time to question the Lord. God, but you said, what about these things? That's a time to say, God, I love you. And because I love you, that's my only qualification. Can you imagine God telling angels the plan? Okay, I'm going to call. I'm going to give, I'm going to call a couple. Watch, I'm going to call a couple from the earth and I'm going to give them descendants and their descendants are going to take over. They're going to be a nation called his life. So God's telling the story to all the angels. And the angels say, who is, who is this couple that's going to be the father of faith and are going to have nations and the, you know, their descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky. And he says, look, you see those two over there? His name's Abraham and his wife is Sarah. And the angels were like, oh, God, they can't. You need like a younger couple. They don't know how to say this, you know. They want to be, it's in the holy place, you know. How, how do we break this to God? They can't do it. But what God was looking for is not the natural, but who can do it the best or the quickest. All he was looking for is, I want to see who is going to love me more than anybody else. And he found Abraham and Sarah. He said, I'll choose you. You see, when you receive the promise because you love him, that's all it takes. Anything is possible. Because love believes all things. 
Did you know love is connected? Love activates faith. Faith requires you to believe all things. Love is the only thing that believes all things. All we need to do is love God with all our hearts. And he'll, he'll give you opportunities to believe the most impossible things. We've had a whole Ethiopian Airlines plane full of people disappear on us. True story, Sarah? For another time. I know. So back to Abraham's story. He says, I'll give you this land. In the next verses, there's a famine in the land. And you know what Abraham's response is? He tries, okay, I have a promise from the Lord. I'm looking around now. There's famine in the land. So they went to Egypt. They left the land of promise, the place of promise, and went to Egypt. But before he did, on the way, he pitched his tent, built an altar, and worshiped the Lord. And after he worshiped the Lord, he opened and saw the famine, and he began to respond to the natural circumstance and figured, if I go to Egypt, I can fulfill God's promises for my life there because they're, they're, they're in abundance and we're in famine. So he went to Egypt, and we know this story, one of the most bizarre stories. As he's walking with his 75, probably 85 now, year old wife, they're walking to, to journey into Egypt. Right before they go in, Abraham thinks, man, my wife is really beautiful. And if they see my wife, who's 85 years old, if they see how beautiful she is, they would want her. And because I'm her husband, the only way to get her is to kill me. This guy is so messed up. <laughs> Who in the world thinks like that? So, honey, this is what we're going to do. When we go in there, we're not going to be husband and wife. We're going to be brother and sister. And she says, great idea. I can get a break from you for a while. <laughs> No woman in her right mind would say yes to that unless he has been troubling her. <laughs> this guy and his promises, I need a break. So we you know a story. He went, they went, she went to Pharaoh's house, lived, you know, part of his company for a while. Thankfully, nothing happened there. And then Pharaoh found out and he got upset because they, had, they were having plagues because of Sarah being there. And they called Abraham and said, what have you done with us? And he kicked them out of Egypt. And when they were kicked out, now, just, just think about this. God promised not too long ago in the land, in the place where he built an altar to the Lord. When we receive the promises of the Lord, this is a moment to cultivate his presence. This is the, our only response is cultivating his continual presence in our lives. This will fulfill God's promises. Guaranteed. He did it, but then he began to respond to the natural. When, he, when they got eventually kicked out of Egypt, they began journeying back. And guess where he came? He came back to the place where he had heard the promise. Back to the place where he had pitched his tent. Back to the place where he, he came back to the same altar of the promise of God. And it says, there he called on the name of the Lord again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We may have engaged in God's desire for us in our natural in our own ability but it's never too late to come back to the simplicity of that altar of your devotion to the lord and say god this is yours i am we're singing that i am yours forever yours it's it sounds too simple but it requires faith and this is what god is looking for In Genesis 13, 2, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. 
You see, he learned how not to pursue and how not to respond to God's promises. Then the third time God speaks to Abraham, now concerning his son Isaac and the covenant that he was going to make, here we find Abraham knowing that Isaac is the fulfillment. He is the direct sign and the direct immediate, the only descendant through which God's promises will be fulfilled. But God tested him one more time. And this time, Abraham is walking up the mountain with Isaac. Binds him up. He's having conversation with his son. Conversation with the promise of God. But this time, he knows that I need to believe if the Lord is able to give me this son of promise. Because before, he even tried to do it naturally by having a son through Hagar. So he's learned his process of how to engage with the promises of God. One, by trying to go to a land of abundance, land of plenty, you know, to go into Egypt. And that didn't work out for him. Then he thought, maybe I should take an Egyptian wife because my wife is old. It's not happening. There's no result. God, you want it from me. Okay, you mean me, not Sarah. Me, through me. So I can have an Egyptian wife, and you know. So he tried. He wrestled in his own way to find how to engage in God's promises. And God says, no, specifically through you and Sarah. Through the two of you is where my promise is going to come. And because they asked, he blessed Ishmael as well. So now he's walking up the mountain with Isaac because God spoke to him. Now the same voice that spoke the promise speaks to him again and says, come and he's going to be the sacrifice. At this time, He's not only activating God, he's not only activating, responding to God in faith, because his response to God made opportunity for God to send his son to die on the cross for us. But the confidence that Abraham had was not only to obey the Lord in such a radical way, but he now believed that even if I put Isaac on the altar, even if I hear the Lord and respond to him and take his life, he is able to resurrect him from the grave. The full message of the gospel is in this journey of Abraham as he discovers how to engage in the promises of God for his life. Thank you, Lord. He not only believed Isaac was a promise, but he was willing to sacrifice the promise because now he was tapping into God's ability to fulfill the promise, even though visibly, tangibly, in front of his eyes, he was going to destroy the very thing. It's intense. Thank you, Lord. Anybody still have promises you want to follow? Thank you, Lord. Re-engage with God's promises. And let all our natural thoughts, all our natural dotting, you know, what do you call it? What are they called? Connecting the dots. How it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter at all. We just need to believe and trust and love God in this moment. When God says, don't worry about tomorrow, he meant, don't worry about tomorrow. There's no conditions involved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And when Jesus spent his time with his disciples, ascended from the grave, was about to go up to heaven, 
the last instruction to them was this. I'm going, but I'm going to send you the promise. Come on, just stand to your feet. I'm going up to the Father, but I'm going to send you the promise. Go to the upper room and wait. So all of the disciples, the 120 that were gathered, they went to the upper room. And what did they do? They cultivated his presence with prayer and worship in those days. Waiting for the promise. Waiting for the fulfillment because that's what Jesus said. Wait for the promise. And for the very first time, when the promise came to them and started the New Testament era and the first century church, the promise was the presence. For the very first time, the promise that God spoke, that Jesus said is coming to you, was his presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And the presence was the promise. Abraham was tapping into it when he built an altar to the Lord. Because it was his presence that was the promise. He gave him a promise so that he would worship him. And that was God's desire all along. He spoke to him about Isaac so that he would build an altar to sacrifice his son. That altar was his desire all along. When God spoke to Mary, when she said, let it be done to me. This is what we're singing, have your way in me. This was God's desire all along. That through the exceedingly precious, through the exceedingly great and precious promises, we would activate the divine nature of God as we worship him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. God, allow us tonight to revisit your promises in our lives. And we, lay, we let everything, all the weight of expectation, all the weight of disappointment, all the things we have not seen, all the trials we have walked through, all the questions we have asked, and all the victories we have experienced, we let everything fall away so we can have you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, if this is you, I want to make, invite you to come up and say, God, this is my altar to you where I know I can call on your name and I can say, God, all of my promises are in you. All of my fountains are in you. All of my streams of life are everything that I am, everything that I was, everything that I am now, everything that I will ever be is not in the actual fulfillment of it. That is what you will do. It is in you right now. And it always has been you. Thank you, Lord. Wait for the promise. And when the promise came, he said, it's me, guys. Thank you, Lord. So come on up. If this is you, if you want to recommit the promises in your life to the Lord. Come on up. God, I, I, I want to re-address, revisit what you have spoken to my life. All the disappointments right now, I built a new altar to the Lord. I'm returning to the altar of my first love. I don't want to be distracted by your promise. I want to be propelled by your promise into your presence. Thank you, Lord. If I have your presence, I have it all. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Activate faith. Activate the divine nature, your nature, that is different, that is outside of this earthly, carnal way of doing things and ambitions of man. And Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Do what only you can do, Lord. In us, do what only you can do through us. Do what only you can do for us, God. But in this moment, I say you are all I need. You are my altar. Thank you, Lord. You are the place of my devotion. You are all in all. Jesus, in this moment, be the center of it all. Be at the center of my future. Be at the center of my my vision for what is ahead. Be at the center of it all, God. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If ministry team is here, come, I want to invite you to come up. Thank you, Lord. Just begin to release your own prayer to the Lord. Build your own altar in this moment. Thank you, God. Just like Abraham did. He returned to that altar and called on the name of the Lord. So, God, that's, that was not the way to do it. Teach me your way. As I stand here before your presence, teach me your ways, God. Teach me your beautiful divine nature in my life. Instruct me in your ways. Holy God. Thank you, Lord.